Hello and welcome to the Avon's podcast for the 22nd of January 2014. And joining me for this edition, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. If you screw this up, you'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Games editor Mark Botwright. Hey, Goose, you big stud. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. Welcome back to the AV Forums podcast. Uh, we are back weekly every Wednesday, so please uh, join us every Wednesday for uh, what can only be described as what, Ed? Soft, strong and thoroughly absorbent. Excellent. Or, all right, guys, wrong, 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 wrong tagline. <laughs> So let's move on quickly. Uh, we go to hardware news, and Sony had their UK launch event today at the time of recording, which is Monday. And Steve, after sitting in the motorway for three hours, actually got there. Uh, so what was shown? Well, Phil, it was uh, predominantly what we saw at CES, but in a lot more detail. So this time we actually got model numbers and a look at the actual TVs that will be launched this year. Um, my initial impression was very much like we were saying last week, I think, on the podcast previously, which is that there was a bit of swagger to, to Sony at CES, and, and looking at their lineup that they've got for 2014 in the UK, it's a strong lineup. It's not, uh, you know, it's not earth-shattering or you know, or game-changing, but it's a solid lineup of some really good-looking, uh, attractive, well-designed, uh, you know, AV equipment, particularly in terms of the TV lineup. So, kicking off at the bottom end of the range, we have the R4. The R4 will come in 32 and 40-inch screen sizes. Uh, 1080p for the 40 inch and 720p for the 32 inch. That's basically their entry model. Then we've got the W7, which is 32, 42, and 50 inch screen sizes. That's kind of their mid range TV. Uh, 1080p obviously comes in black or silver, has the new one flick feature available, um, which is for navigating their um, smart TV platform, X Reality Pro, and 200 hertz. Then there's W8, which comes in 42, 50, and 55 inch screen sizes. Uh, the 42 inches 400 hertz and the 50 and 55 are 800 hertz. Uh, X Reality Pro, but Motion Flow, sorry, that's Motion Flow, plus X Reality Pro, of course. Uh, th- that level adds 3D. Um, and then moving on from that, we have so the, the topper end of the scale. So uh, there's a W85, which comes in this one screen size, 60 inch. Um, and this adds the, uh, this, the biggest difference between this and the W, uh, the W8 is this adds the wedge shape. So the design we were talking about in last week's podcast, the kind of the wedge shape that Sony are using on some of their TVs, on the higher-end TVs, um, that adds that. So that obviously means it's got more space for bigger speakers, so therefore improved sound. Then we move on to W95, which comes in 55 and 65-inch screen sizes. Again, wedge design. Um, it's got uh, all the new PQ features, so things that we were talking about again last week, dynamic contrast, uh, X-Reality Pro and Triluminous panel. Um, and then, that's still 1080p that we haven't got to, the, to their sort of um, the 4K lineup, that, that starts with the X85. That's a 4K TV, going to be in screen sizes of 49 inches, 55 and 65. So like we saw with LG, we should be seeing a 49-inch Sony 4K TV for around the 2K mark. They didn't actually give any pricing yet today, but but I'm guessing if that's where LG are pricing or aiming to price, then Sony won't be far behind. So uh, that's good news if you're looking for a 4K TV this year and you don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, you know, a couple of grand for a 4K TV is, is pretty attractive, I've got to say. Um, that one isn't uh, the wedge design. It's actually, it's got um, the, the sort of little trestle feet at the bottom, but it's actually not a wedge shape. 
to get the, the full 4K wedge, full-on size, screen size, that's going to be X9. The X9 is 55 and 65 inches. It's got the wedge shape. It's got all the PQ features. Basically, it's almost their top-of-the-line TV. There is actually one above that. They didn't have it at uh, the event today, but you and I saw it, Phil, at CES uh, week before last, which is the X95, which is the big 85-inch with the rather unattractive, looks a bit like a, 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 a sort of a blackboard on, the, on those really big feet. Um, that has a full backlight array, actually, which is the big difference between that and the X9. And obviously, it's a very big screen size, 85 inches. So I've got to say, that's a really strong uh, lineup of TVs. Uh, all the 4K sets include HDMI 2.0 and HEVC uh, decoding. Um, yeah, I mean, I was impressed. They also had on, you know, on, on show some of their um, uh, sound bars, the Blu-ray players for this year. Uh, but it was really the TV lineup that was that we were most interested in because it, there wasn't much info in terms of model numbers and stuff at CES. So at least we've got that now. And uh, yeah, I was I was impressed with. It. I, said, I mean, I've got to say, I, I thought that the lineup last year looked good in terms of picture quality. Uh, certainly, the W the W nine and the X nine that I reviewed, I thought were both really really top draw tellies. And uh, looking at what we saw at CES and what I saw today in terms of the demonstrations they were doing, they were doing it against the Samsung. They were really picking on this poor Samsung TV. But um, uh, I thought that they, again, I think it's a really strong lineup there. Uh, I'm not I'm totally sold on the wedge shape. I understand the reasons behind it. It's you know it's to improve the audio quality of the TV, and it certainly did that. They gave us some demos of the TVs in action with some with, you know, sound quality terms, uh, and they did sound really good. And and the fact that you can get a you can buy an optional wireless subwoofer really adds to the audio quality of a TV. Although you could argue that if you're buying a three or four grand or even more television. Uh, you might probably be using some sort of outboard solution. But certainly, if you're not going to do that and you want to use the speakers on TV, they sound really good. No question about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, was imp- I was impressed with the lineup. Um, wall mounting, they actually come with little, the wedge-shaped TVs come with spacers, which means that you can then add, put them onto a standard Visa uh, wall mounting uh, you know, um, bracket. And I have to say that whilst I wasn't totally 100% sold on, on the look of them when they're on their stand, on the on trestle feet, uh, wall mounted they do look really nice i have to say um so uh, yeah it was it was impressive i really like the wedge yeah you yeah, yeah, yeah i do i think it looks like really nice looking tv and uh like you say it improves the audio as well so it's not just done as a design flare there's actually some technical reason as to why it does that so uh, the only other thing i'm going to pick you up on steve is the model numbers they they seem to be the same as last year yeah they are actually the same as last year uh, but there's some, there are some tiny differences, I think. Like, uh, but the, what they were saying was, for example, um, so the, yes, the X9005 was what it was called last year, and this year it's still called the X9005 with a different suffix. But how can so anyone think- tell anyway? I mean, the, the, the television model numbers have long been a source of consternation for me. They're just so appallingly meaningless as to be, you know, they might, it, it, it they, they obviously pressed the random number generator and forgot to reset the settings to put an extra year on this well this, time, is, this yeah. is just going to confuse everybody yeah. well they do look, they do look, but they, in fairness they do look quite different and presumably you know you won't be yeah but if, still if you walk into the shop and you say oh, i want to buy the x9 sony how do you know you're getting the latest model and and not last well yeah good point uh, <laughs> uh well that's what they're called so uh, i guess um so i guess know, the, the I guy, guy that comes up with the model numbers had the weekend off then the, when they when they did that yeah, I mean, I, I did. We did ask the question. We said, "Well, is is that X nine still the X nine double five? And they said, "Yes, it is." Uh, okay, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, Phil. I mean, it is going to be slightly confusing for the average punter who goes into a store to buy it. Well, never, never mind that. X nine. Never mind that. What about SEO? You know, when it comes to reviewing these things, they're going to be the same title, unless there's a 
there's there's a slight suffix change there, but even still, well, there will be, be a suffix change at that. But it's, it's going to be quite confusing, that isn't it? It's really, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah I guess the guy had the weekend off. So, uh, moving on from the TV, so what else was Sony showing? I know they're they're really big on high res audio at the minute. They had a bit of the high res audio. They had the same stuff that we would um, we saw some of the stuff that we saw at CES. So there was the uh, the high res audio um, wireless speaker. The is it the X nine? I think it is. Yeah, X9. Um, and they also had their, they had two of their 5.1 systems. So they were sort of all in one systems, the Blu-ray player uh, uh, and um, wireless rear speakers. Um, they, they basically look quite similar to the ones they had. They, they, again, the numbers are slightly, you know, I think it's instead of the, the uh, 5,000, it's now the 5,200s. At least they did change the number slightly on that. But they basically look very similar to last year's. They had their, um, the, the, the uh, soundbars, the two of the soundbars were the ones that were launched at IFA, so they've already been available for some time now. Uh, the other two they had, we saw again at uh, CES. The one that's got a very low, like five inch, five centimeters high, which was the joke I was making at the time about, you know, they've made the TVs bigger to improve the sound and made the soundbars smaller to ruin the sound. So uh, it's kind of going, they seem to be going in opposite directions now, <laughs> making soundbars smaller, TVs bigger. They had uh, what else did they have? So they had the the, the, the Walkman that we saw, the high res Walkman, which um, we mentioned. I think we mentioned last week, didn't we? Which five hundred quid? I can't see too many takers for. Um, they had their, as I said, they had their Blu-ray players, which look identical to the design they had this year or last year, rather. You know, with the kind of slightly um, trapezoidal shape to it. I think that's about it. In terms of okay, so the big question is four K TVs. Um, are we getting their four K player this year? Uh, we asked that question, and they said not at the moment. There's no Yay. currently no currently no plans to launch it in the UK, um, so they were heavily pushing the concept of Netflix streaming. <laughs> oh wow! So, so they weren't even they wow. weren't they're not they're not launching their 4K player that they have in the states that we saw at CES. There's no plans currently to launch uh, video unlimited 4K download service streaming service that they were showing at Netflix. So why CES. why the hell would you buy a Sony 4K TV then? Come on, well, Sony, this is poor. Same model numbers. They're even using the same model numbers for the audio stuff. If the soundbar's an X9, same as the TV's an X9, and they're not bringing the really important stuff for 4K to the UK, that that just doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I mean, so they start banging on again about the usual things like, oh well, up, up resed HD looks really good. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, yeah, but actually, you know, if you're watching HD on an HD TV, you're better off because obviously you're introducing any scaling to that. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, seems, it seems strange. That the one company, the one company in a position to actually deliver some content, you know, because they own a film studio, aren't leading the way. And and well, I know not, not I got shot UK. down about this last week, but you know, they're gonna, they need to really steal. You know, they need to get on with this because people need to see some content, read, easily available 4K content, and even streaming is not that easily available if you haven't got 50 megabytes a second, which a lot of people haven't. So. Yeah, I, it was. It was. Yeah, they were talking about 4K being. Obviously, they were banging on about um, the World Cup because they're a major sponsor, and they were saying the final's going to be filmed in 4K. But obviously, they then said, "Well, we're not. We're not a broadcaster, so that's not that's out of our hands." And Sky don't have the rights to the World Cup because it's on BBC, so that's not going to happen. So yeah, in terms of actual 4K content in the UK right now, you really are a bit of Netflix if you've got 50 megabytes a second, a bit of YouTube again if you've got a high enough broadband speed. That's it. That's your lot for now. And if you live out in the sticks, like well, you live where I like live. Some, it, yeah. some of us do. Um, and I'm thinking about you know my parents and stuff who live a little further north than I do, and you can't play a 360 video on YouTube. So how the hell are you ever going to play 4K beyond me? So 
you know, this just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, the whole 4K thing with Sony, if they're not going to back it up with content. Um, it seems really poor to me. But anyway, we need to move on from that. Um, next, I feel this is going to be a really quick conversation, Steve. Uh, the new Oppo Blu-ray player, which is added to Derby uh, <laughs> processing. Uh, why? New new player in inverted commas. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I, I, I understand why they've done this. You know, if you think about it logically, you're Oppo, you're a small company, you, you specialize in making Blu-ray players. Um, you know, there's no 4K Blu-ray f- format yet to jump on the back of. So, and you've already de- already delivered the 103, which was a fantastic Blu-ray player that did everything you could possibly wanted to do. So, what? How do you how do you come up with a new new model? Differentiate it in some way. What have they done? They've added Derby processing to it. Um, do you need it? Absolutely not. Would you use it? I wouldn't recommend it. Um, it's an acquired taste. I know. I know. Mark did a in detailed uh, review of the, of the Derby Darblet processor, um, which is effectively what's been added into this player. You know, and and you can play around with it, and and, and on some some circumstances it it can look you know, it looks a little bit sharp, and but you ultimately you know it is processing. It is affecting the 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 the, the, you know, the purity of the original image, and as a video purist, I would rather not do that. It is still sharpening and dynamic, you know, contrast adjustment and this kind of stuff. Um, well, they added it in, so they got something to sell this year. Um, so I, I sympathise with them in that sense that there's nothing else for them to launch. Um, but if you've already got a 103, you, you're fine. And, well, and why not just sell it as a reference player? You know, they, they, they've already got a fantastic product. You know, get rid of the gimmicks and just sell it as a reference player. Because I, I think everybody that's seen one, reviewed one, has either given it a reference badge or given it a five. Yeah, out of, I mean, they are superb Blu- Blu-ray players. You, 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 I mean, obviously, let's get this. Let's let's be absolutely clear about this. You can buy a Blu-ray player if you're watching Blu-rays over HDMI. You can spend a hundred quid and it will look exactly the same as the four hundred ninety-nine pound Oppo. I'm not saying that it's going to improve the look of Blu-ray over over digi- a digital um, connection. However, it does add, you know, genuine universal playback. So you've got DVD audio, you've got SACD, you've got everything you could possibly imagine in terms of disc 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 support. Uh, it's really well built. It's very well supported by Oppo. Um, you know, you're paying for other things, not just the playback capabilities. And yeah, you're right, Phil. I mean, it is it is. They are great. The 103 and the 105 are fantastic players. Uh, you know, you're paying a little extra for, for for a certain build quality and that kind of thing, but you get what you pay for at the end of the day. And, and if you want a really good reference player, you cannot go wrong with an Oppo, in my opinion. Um, you're right; they could have just kept on selling the 103 and the 105 as they were. I guess they just needed something to hang a marketing campaign on for this year, uh, and they've chosen Derby. But but you know, we we all know that's it's a gimmick, to be honest. Okay, so let's move on to audio to wrap up on hardware this week and. Uh, You've had a look at the new Anthem 710, 7-channel receiver, Steve, uh, yep. which comes with ARC. You were bigging these up last year, the, the previous model, and they have a really strong following on the forum because they do what they say they're going to do on the tin, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I reviewed the 300 last year and Russell did the 700. Both of us were gobsmacked by how good they were for the money. I mean, not just actually, that's not even fair, not even for the money. They could compete with receivers at three or four times the price and still be better they were uh, could be, and the main reason for that is realistic power <laughs> numbers and arc anthem room correction which um in its first generation which is what was used last year was just incredible the way it could uh, eq a room was staggering and you know, the difference in audio quality it was you know the only receiver i've reviewed 
I think that where where not only was it fantastic with movie soundtracks, but it also sounded really good music as well, which is unusual for a receiver. It tends to be that it tend to be better at the multi-channel stuff than the stereo stuff. But I thought it was a mu- really musical sounding receiver on top of being really good with multi-channel audio. This year, um, they have improved ARC. ARC now is incredible. I mean, the only thing I've seen better than the current version of ARC is Dirac Live, and Dirac Live alone cost two thousand quid before you even got the seventeen grand's worth of data set. It's uh, you know it's so flexible in terms of the way you can set up the uh, uh, the anthem. In terms of you can it's, it's got features such as uh, quick measurement, so you can just take measurements constantly and move your sub around the room until you get the right spot for it. It's got it obviously measures all of the. Um, speakers so if they've got a 7.1 system it'll measure all seven speakers plus a sub it measures them it shows you the target and then it eqs it against the target it shows you the graphs before and after it's an incredibly powerful tool uh, and the results are really are spectacular i mean when you buy an anthem and it, you know you open the box up inside there's the receiver obviously there's also a, a, a calibrated mic mic stand all the software everything i mean you know you start thinking well even for i think the 710 is about 2300 quid that's a bargain <laughs> What you're getting for the money is staggering. Yeah, um, so, well, if you think of it, the the original Odyssey outboard multi uh, multi thirty two, which I reviewed what seven years ago now, when this was just starting, and and you're paying four grand for that, and yeah. that didn't include the setup uh, kit. You had to pay another, I think it was another five hundred quid on top for the microphone and the cables and the stand and stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty staggering actually. Now, there's a couple of things worth pointing out here. Um, one of the accusations made against, uh, and it's a valid point last year's um, anthems were, they didn't have a, a very many HDMI. I think they had four HDMI inputs, which is kind of on the low, low end of the scale. They've now got, I think, it's six or seven inputs now. Um, so, so they've upped the number of inputs to, to, to basically compare with the competition, uh, which is good. It's still really, uh, in terms of bells and whistles, hardly anything on there, which is, in my opinion, great. I don't want... Spotify and internet radio and and you know video processing. I want a receiver that handles multi multi channel audio and stereo and does it well, and that's what this does. Um, so yes, I was a big fan of the previous generation. I'm equally as big a fan of this. I, I, I do genuinely think that the Anthem at the moment are a little cut above the rest of the competition in terms of pure audio quality. I think ARC isn't isn't a, you know at that price point is in a class of its own compared to what the main competition which would be audio odyssey um xt32 even xt32 pro um so i, I you know I, and i don't think they're expensive you know the big issue is going to, this year is going to be that the replacement for the 300 the 310 only has five channels of amplification rather than the seven channels which was on the 300 which i think might annoy some people but i guess they've done that because the 300 was such good value and such a good performer you know i, I gave it a best buy badge because even at a thousand quid they were giving it away um, they've obviously dropped, and dropped two channels of amplification to try and differentiate that from the other, um, the higher, the five, five ten and seven ten, because I'm guessing they were stealing sales away from themselves with the, with the, with a product that was just too good at that price point. Um, but seven ten is a, is a masterful um, uh, um, receiver, really is great. I think they've also changed the looks a little bit, made it a bit prettier, um, and um, yeah, it's, it's another winner from uh, from Anthem in my, in my book. Any views, Ed? Well. I weirdly, I've never actually used an Anthem product, but enough people, um, both on the forums and and in the wider wider sort of industry, have been sufficiently complimentary that I'd be amazed I, if the, this had been anything other than a, a, a very positive development. And yeah, uh, I mean, for me, I'm I, I appreciate what some of the EQ and room correction can do. 
I'm still sometimes uh, find find the results a bit odd, but theirs is extremely good. And but more's the point. At the end of the day, in in the meat and two veg sense, of the word it's got proper amplification that delivers the figures it says it does. It doesn't deliver them as a freak blip. It you know it a proper amount of usable power, and they appear to be built like built like battleships. I mean, yeah. I don't know what more you can ask for, really. I mean, I have to say, I do find it amusing that, I mean, okay, four HDMIs, I can just about see situations where you might think, oh, gosh, I could do with more than that. Uh, it's seven HDMI sources? What am I missing? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, str- I'm struggling here. Even if you've got all the games consoles on the go and a Now TV box and a Sky HD box and a Blu-ray player, you, you'd still have one spare. So I don't know. I, I, I think it, it's like so many things. It, 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 it becomes a sort of specification overload in the same way that, as I say, at the moment, we're, we're looking at putting DSD support into, into everything, even though there's nothing you can actually buy worth listening to on DSD. But hey, that's just me. If and that's the only w- concession to, to crazy spe- specking that Anthem are making, then so be it. Excellent. Well, uh, that kind of wraps up the hardware. Uh, Steve, what reviews do we have coming this week? Uh, well, there'll be the Oppo um, and the Anthem should be up this week. And and then early next week, sort of next Monday probably, um, we'll have, and this is, uh, hopefully there'll be some excitement on this one, the Optoma HD91, which is the new LED projector from Optoma that's £299, which is like basically finding out you could buy a Rolls-Royce for, <laughs> for sort of 10 grand because every LED projector I've reviewed before this has been 15,000 quid and up. So this is a massive, massive uh, price differential. I haven't done, I haven't finished the full testing yet. I was playing with it the weekend though, and I've got to say, very impressed so far. Very impressed with it indeed. Okay, so that wraps up the hardware side of things. Um, we're just going to go and give uh, Mr. Botwright a nudge and wake him up, and come back with the gaming news. So, Mark, moving on to gaming news, uh, something that was announced at CES um, that I didn't see, but seems to be important. You didn't uh, really see CES, though, did you? <laughs> what's that? You didn't really see CES. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, anyway, PlayStation Now. Uh, what's this all about, Mark? Well, this is the kind of culmination of Sony's purchasing of Gaikai for their uh, cloud game streaming. Um, and, yeah, basically... It's it's a way to kind of monetize Sony's back catalogue of games. Uh, so the hope is you'll see PS1, PS2, PS3, and you know even PSP games uh, able to play on a variety of Sony devices. Uh, they showed it off uh, with a demo of The Last of Us, a PlayStation 3 game being streamed onto a Vita, and it was apparently lag-free and and working very well. Um, the plan is to uh, start unrolling it in 2014 and in the eu we'll see it 2015 early 2015 hopefully um and it'll also be linking up with bravia tvs uh all the ones produced in 2014 hopefully should be able to uh use the service and then it's other partner devices in quotes which obviously will be mobiles and tablets and the like uh it's 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 a very kind of bold move and it's it's a really very forward thinking because it's they've got this huge amount of content now that th- there's always been this worry about well what if mobiles and tablets kind of almost fracture the gaming market well this is a great way to kind of bridge the divide between the two so that you can 
keep selling console games and, and the plan is is that people can play them on a variety of different devices i suppose the only real fly in the ointment is that uh it's not going to be covered by the standard playstation plus subscription so you'd need a separate subscription to playstation now and but you'll also be able to rent individual titles so yeah sounds like a very interesting service how, how do you access the service then is it just well, like an it, app or yeah, I, th- I think it'll be an app. So it'll, you know, it'll be on yeah any kind of devices that that meet the minimum requirements. They've they've just actually come out with um, uh, how it's going to work with regards to what they've they're actually putting in the servers, which will be some kind of custom eight PS3 stuck on one motherboard um, because they they apparently tried it with regular PlayStation Three units, but obviously too much size, uh, you know, space requirements and hugely inefficient. But it it shows their their commitment to it. Uh, five Mbps line as a minimum, which you know doesn't sound too bad considering you know the overall standard in the, in the UK. Um, and it's going to support all things cloud saves, uh, online multiplayer, trophies, and messages. So the hope is to try and get the same service across you know a variety of different devices. So did they say sorry? Did they say that they're doing things like? I mean, does this also mean that they would let? release sort of legacy stuff in a compatible way through to to newer material or is is that me putting two and two together and getting well, five the fact that they've showed the last of us i think that the, the big plan is is that you know the playstation 4 not being backwards compatible and as soon as they they bought gaikai the i think the plan was always that people would want to play those games and so it, it yeah it makes total sense that it will be you know you will be seeing ps3 games there well, yeah, but I'm I'm actually thinking. I have to be honest, Mister Bot. I'm thinking older than that. I mean, I, it was really weird. I, my <laughs> tidying the house up over the weekend, and I found um, a, a a very sad, but I'm I'm sure still playable copy of a PS1 game called Overboard, which was just a sort of little weird pirate ship game. And it's the sort of thing where these days an Android tablet could run that without breaking sweat. And it's just the idea of being able to access this. Otherwise, you know, it's not something you'd you'd spend proper money out on. But I I could probably be persuaded to part with a small amount of money to have something like that and just tinker about with it after not playing it for ten or ten or twelve years and obviously probably remember that it was crap. But you know, that's, that's well, how it works. Yeah, I'd always assumed that it would be pretty much kind of all legacy content there. But the fact that it's come out that it's custom hardware with and they've Every news outlet stressing this point. It's eight PS3s on on one motherboard, and the the PlayStation Three had to have in, you know, the specific chipset so it could the original sixty gigabytes so it could play PlayStation Two games. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't just on emulation; it was literally two machines in one. Yeah. So, it, and and there's always been uh, on PCs very very tricky with, you know, old games that you'd think well that could just run on a tablet now, but emulation is is a very fiddly task and so oh yeah yeah it'll be very interesting to see just how far back they go i think the the question would be simply um at what point is it not worth their while even trying to you know kind of get it up and running simply because of the cost of what it would what people would actually pay for an old ps1 or ps2 game that kind of thing these days but you know they're a reasonable amount now that are, are downloadable for you know that you can play on the ps3 anyway you know old games that you can download so i i don't see why they wouldn't make a, a fair amount of them available but i i can't see them delving too far further back into those back catalogs shame 
I'm, I'm still happy playing Space Invaders, to be honest. <laughs> Galaxians and Defender. Yeah, it's cutting edge for you country folk, though, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Mark, um, when we were at CES, uh, along the same time they announced PlayStation Now, they also announced, I think they'd sold 4.2 million PS4 so far. Uh, what, what, you know what the sales numbers are for the Xbox One? Ooh, um, I think, what was it, news last month? I think they said that, that the Xbox One actually... Um, might have come ahead in in one month in in the US or something, but I, I think they're they're pretty much running uh, neck and neck in in the US. I know that much. Um, but no worldwide sales. Um, I don't have those figures to hand, Steve. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, have you got both now? Yes, yes, I have and, finally. And what do you think? What do I think? Um, loading up the Xbox One was. Wonderful, first of all, to hear that it's so silent, which was you know, <laughs> yeah. a big concern. Which, And then you're kind of hit in the face by this weird amalgamated semi-Windows 8 experience, and I, I honestly felt physically sick. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bewildering. Uh, you know, I it just I don't understand it. You know, they they hide simple things in in settings tabs, and this idea of just one button gets you to a different menu, and it, it's never it never seems to be the most intuitive button that you go to. And so, yeah, it it is all a different experience. The only thing I, I would say that did really quite shock me, which was um, connect uh, voice recognition, is actually quite good. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's. I mean, there's nothing. There are no big features linked yeah, into it. Yeah, but you don't have a challenging accent, though. No, no, that, that's a fair point. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, well, I found. You know, I was. I was saying to Leon that I. You know, I had a mouthful of food and it still turned it on. You know, you can kind of half garble words. The only problem is, is that you have to remember what are the key terms, and that's going to be as it gets more complex. I can see that being an issue. Little things like. Um, was it telling it to to quit? Quit isn't isn't a command. It's close. You know, little so things like that. Specific and instructions rather than normal English. Well, yeah, specific instructions. So I think I shouted "quit" and straight away launched Skype. And so <laughs> it it goes for rough approximations. So they're obviously going to keep certain kind of keywords, try and I'd differentiate ha- them. I'd have hours of fun just saying "curly whirly." <laughs> murder, murder. Xbox. <laughs> so if, you say, murder. if you say quit, and you end up coming back with a joke because they thought you said quip. So it looks like uh, Nintendo. Who wrote that? Was, that, was, that was a that was a typo. I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> so Nintendo, uh, the Wii U bend. Uh, it's going down. It. Uh, it seems to be that um, since they stopped making the Wii, uh, the Wii U is now the main machine, and uh, nobody wants it. And nobody wants to buy games for it. Uh, yeah, that's perhaps a bit harsh, but yeah, they, they've <laughs> harsh, but pretty fair. <laughs> well, they've revised their sales forecast in what was the most obvious thing in the world. Just it was clear they weren't going to hit nine million for the year, and so revising it down to two point eight million, um, it, it was one of those kind of last minute things which has suddenly kind of wiped a huge amount off the share price because people. Somehow didn't see that coming. I don't understand which investors didn't see that coming, but either way, um, and they predicted it was there was going to be up for four hundred and eighty million dollars profit revised now down to two hundred and forty million dollars loss. Um, it it sold less than envisaged. Um, 
they hadn't factored in the fact they'd have to put in a price cut. Uh, there was there was a recent thing, but I think before Christmas, where they worked out how much it actually cost to put together, and it's still a surprisingly expensive console to put together, even when you consider that it, its its power is dwarfed by you know the kind of other next gen consoles. It, it's it's basically that gamepad. I think it's it's about eighty dollars just to manufacture that, which you know if you if you compare it to the type of cut price tablets you can get on the market now it just yeah. seems like a huge amount a huge drain on them yeah um their president uh satoru iwata has, has basically said um you know there's going to have to be a change of approach but uh he's kind of nixed the fact that a lot of people are calling for them to be a bit of a third party developer to switch things over to to smartphones and tablets and the like and he said it's not as simple as just moving mario over to that so It'll be very interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, interestingly, I saw on Twitter, and I don't know how accurate this rumour is, Mark, I don't know if you've heard anything, but a lot of talk about Nintendo being the first to actually come out with a genuine 4K machine. Yeah, I'd love to say it, it, it was rubbish, um, but I, I genuinely don't think anyone can predict anything that Nintendo do right now. It, it's a case of, I mean, if, if you looked at where they were before the Wii, um, the idea of motion control was madness. You know, the fact that they were releasing what was essentially, uh, you know, people felt was a GameCube with nothing more than this little funny little one that wouldn't sell at all and people were deriding it and, and laughing at the, the name before it came out. But they struck big there. So they're, they're, I wouldn't put it against them to have the kind of Japanese executive culture mixed with um, risk-taking and just go all out, invest it all and go for a 4K machine. All right, interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. And uh, if anybody's got 14 hours to spare, uh, the games <laughs> podcast is out this week. Uh, game of the year. Uh, I'm taking the mickey. It's not 14 hours. It's only two hours. Um, still a long still, podcast. It feels like 14. 15. <laughs> still a long podcast. But I guess you guys really went to town on game of the year. Yes, yes. There was obviously a, a lot to chat about, a lot of arguments, and it was uh, less painful than we'd envisaged it would be. So that's a games podcast. It's out now. It's a ringing endorsement, isn't it? Well, Less painful I, than we thought it would be. <laughs> if 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 people had seen what some of our conversations were like when we had the the games of the generation um, discussion, that was. I, I think if it was face to face, we would have come to blows. <laughs> I think that's much more. Um, uh, It'd make for an entertaining podcast, though, wouldn't it? Really, yeah, yes. <laughs> physical blows or virtual blows, or would it just be like yeah. would you be selecting weapons and stuff? <laughs> yeah, power up. Yeah, <laughs> hit them on the chin. Certain certain moves and that sort of stuff. You have to do combinations on the keyboard. Anyway, uh, that's the games podcast. It's out now. Go and download it. We'll be back in a second with movie news. Okay, so for the first time in about six weeks, Steve, the question will be asked, what was at the cinema? The question was being asked, Phil, but only if I reminded someone to do it. Um, I've actually seen, uh, there's been a lot of films at the cinema. Obviously, uh, we were away the first week of January for CES, and January is very much uh, all awards season. So January and February are when all the awards get, nominations get announced and awards get handed out. And therefore, also that the big awards players tend to be released at the end of the year or just at the start of the year in order to a qualify for the awards and b obviously you want to try and generate as much box office on the back of any awards you may or may not get so um the film i'm going to talk about 
as in that's what I saw at cinema is the railway man, but I actually also saw 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle and The Wolf of Wall Street, which we'll come back to a bit later on when we talk about the Oscar nominations and, and, the, and the current front runners for awards this season. Um, the Railway Man is, uh, I have to say, I, I knew nothing about it. I, I, it's based on an autobiography by a guy called Eric Lomax. Um, and it has been the subject of a couple of documentaries, neither of which I've seen. So I was completely unaware of the story. I mean, I knew the basic story because I'd seen, you know, the trailer and the, and the poster going into the into the cinema. So I knew it was essentially about a guy who was a prisoner of war for the Jap- with, with a prisoner of war for the Japanese in World War II. Worked on the death railway in Burma. Um, the film takes starts off in the early '80s when he's an older man. Uh, he meets somebody, falls in love, played by so Colin Firth plays Eric Lomax as an old man. Uh, Nicole Kidman is the woman he meets and they fall in love. And then, of course, as, as, after they get married, she begins to realize that he has deep, deep emotional issues, uh, basically traumatic stress disorder, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder related to being a prisoner of war. And then there's a, a various flashbacks filling in the story of what happened to him on, on, the, on the death railway. And, and then um, later on in the film, he finds out from another friend that they, one of the guys, that, 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 one Japanese uh, torturers, basically, uh, still alive, and and he goes to confront him. So that that's the basic premise, and it's a completely true story. But but it, it was uh, a really uh, very moving film uh, about you know about the, the sort of the redeeming nature of forgiveness. Um, and uh, Colin Firth's character, you know, for for very good reasons. You know, uh, this one particular guy, and he was actually wasn't torturing him directly. He was actually the translator, but I guess because he was the one that could speak English, he kind of focuses his hatred on this one man, this one Japanese man. Um, so he's kind of got all this hatred and, and you know, um, these demons inside him, which he needs to in some way get rid of. Uh, well, what's interesting is that there's very few films I've ever seen, in fact, there's only one I can think of, which has addressed the long-term effects of war. I suppose, you know, obviously we all know war is hell and you can see Private Ryan or something like that. But this is about, you know, the effects it has on people decades later. Um, and, and that was interesting. And Colin Firth was extremely good in it. I didn't think... Um, Nicole Kibben was necessarily the right choice because no matter how hard she might try, she could never look dowdy. Although in all fairness, she was, I think, a late replacement. I think Rachel Weisz was originally going to play. Not that Rachel Weisz is particularly unattractive either. But um, yeah, it was it was it was I, a film. I, I a story I knew nothing about going in, and I and I did find the film to be genuinely moving, and and I really enjoy, enjoyed it. In you know, if that's the right word, uh, certainly found it. Um, yeah, had a, had a, a rewarding conclusion. Okay, Scott. I gave it eight out of ten. I think in the review, yeah, eight out of ten. Okay, I think I followed that. Right, let's move on. Blu-rays released this week. Sherlock season three. Anybody picking this up? Nah, the weakest weakest season of Sherlock. Don't Fine. spoil it for me. I'm not going to say anything <laughs> other than the week, weakest season of of the three. So I, I, given I didn't rush out and buy the other two, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to break into a sweat over this. Yeah, one. well, you know, I've seen it already in HD. Um, it, it, good enough quality. Like you say, um, mm, was a bit off this season. A little bit. I, I think they went too much for uh, humour. And it didn't really kind of pay off. I'm not going to spoil it for you, Mark. Uh, but the wedding one was just ridiculous. Uh, anyway, moving on. Doctor Who Christmas Special now hits disc. Uh, any takers for this one? Yeah. I I, uh, I was disappointed, actually. I, I know I've just, I've just bought it, but I was disappointed because um, I thought that... And this is Stephen Moffat, who also wrote Sherlock, of course. Um, he has an annoying habit of trying to have his cake and eat it. Uh, and this is a good example where, first of all, he, he eliminates two regenerations for some bloody reason in order to um, address an issue that wouldn't have been an issue for another two doctors. Um, 
he spends a lot of it, well, basically, um, Matt Smith has spent a lot of it under old age makeup. And one of the joys of Matt Smith's performance as Doctor was he was, you know, was very animated and lots of physical comedy. And he wasn't able to do that because he was basically playing an old man, which seems, seems stupid to me. I just felt it was very unsatisfying um, send-off for, for Matt Smith, who I thought genuinely was really good as Doctor Who. Yeah, you still went um, out and bought the disc. Reinforcing failure right there. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm someone who's bought Dune, <laughs> the David Lynch film Dune, at least 20 times on multiple different platforms. I don't even like the film. <laughs> Can't stop. Yeah, I think, um, I think you've got issues. Anyway, moving on. Uh, last two that are released. Uh, White House Down. Um, yeah, okay, whatever. If it's uh, a fiver, I might pick it up. And ours, I, I don't know anything about this one, Steve. It's um, Paul Walker's. Well, not his last film, obviously. I suppose his last film would be Fast and Furious 7, but it was certainly the film he made just before that, um, set during the um, Katrina in New Orleans. And he's, uh, I believe, I think he's on screen almost the entire time. He's like genuinely, absolutely the star and carries the whole film. And and I haven't seen it. Um, and I know we've probably all said in the past when he died that, you know, he was no great shakes as an actor, but apparently he's very good in this. Um, so, you know, if you are a Paul Walker fan or, you know, just kind of a bit sad about him being dead, um, it might be worth checking out ours. Okay, thanks for that recommendation, Steve. Um, <laughs> to wrap up on movies, I guess we have to talk about the Oscar nominations. Um, I've got to say, I have no interest whatsoever in the Oscars. I never have had any interest in it. It's a back-slapping ceremony. I'd much rather watch something um, like, what's, what's the other one that's on the Emmys where they get people like Ricky Gervais to host it? That was the Golden, Golden, the Golden Globes. Globes. Yeah. At least you're going to get something, you know, that's entertaining. And the only Oscars where I really did watch was when uh, Billy Crystal was uh, was the compere, because you knew you were going to get a spectacular opening and uh, he was going to be genuinely funny. Although they did try and bring him back a few years ago and it kind of fell flat, didn't it? So anyway, my favourite awards were always the BAFTA, the old BAFTA, not the current BAFTAs, but in the old days it used to be a slap up dinner, um, and then after the after the meal they do the awards. Got the other in today. Everyone will get rat-assed. Yeah. Can we be very clear that I am not hallucinating when I note that Matthew McConaughey has been nominated for a Best Actor? Uh, well, no, I was going to come up to this, but since you brought it up, Ed, let's get straight to the Best Actor nominations. Christian Bale for American Hustle, Bruce Dern for Nebraska, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, Chiwetel Ejiofor, I can't pronounce his bloody name, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Tovey as a Slave, and Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club. And can I just say, A, I've always been a bit of a fan of Matthew McConaughey, but I'll admit he's done some bloody awful films in the past and he's tended to just cruise it. And people call him like, you know, Matthew Mahogany. I think Mark Commode used to make that joke. He's had a, he's had a, a I think they're calling it a reconnaissance these days. He, he has, in the last two years, just utterly changed his, his persona in terms of he's been doing really good films like Killer Joe and Mud. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. He's really good in that. Apparently, he's fantastic in Dallas Buyers Club. Um, yeah, suddenly, Matthew McConaughey has become a serious, proper actor. <laughs> and actually, he won Screen Actors Guild Best Actor a Best Actor Award um, at the weekend. So I'd say he's currently front-runner to, to pick up an Academy Award as Best Actor. Well, it just shows there's still hope for you, Steve. You, know, <laughs> you may be a real journalist one day. <laughs> Moving on. So that's the Best Actor. Uh, best Actress? Almost certainly going to go to Kate Blanchett for Blues Jasmine. And the other nominees are Amy Adams from American Hustle, Sandra Bullock from Gravity, um, Judy Dench from Philomena in Meryl Streep, as usual. You see, I'm August surprised you went count. I'm surprised you went there because I would have thought that Bullock was a, a, a tie-in for that because the whole film was 
basically her. Yeah, but I, I think she's going to be overshadowed by the by the film itself. Um, um, I, I, everyone's been talking saying Kate Blanchett since Blue Jasmine came out. I think she's a front runner at the moment. Bullock would be a close second. Um, See, I think I think that's the kind of award that Gravity might get. I think the the other ones, I don't think they tend well, to go for. Well, see, last night it won, uh, well, the Producers Guild, which is usually a good indicator of which is going to win Best Film. Um, they actually split the, split the award. They gave it to both 12 Years a Slave and Gravity. But, now, but the Oscars point, bottle it with sci-fi. Anything vaguely also, sci-fi. Yeah, see, this isn't sci-fi. This is more science fact. I, I know, science but it, it, it borders on it. And I just think that there's something too kind of genre about anything that vaguely falls into the ballpark of sci-fi that they just kind of bottle and just think is this a fad this is a good film to do it for and i'd rather this much rather gravity one than 12 years i watched 12 years a slave on saturday night and it's one of those films i mean i mean i know you put up um kaz's review today phil and kaz is bang on the money it's an endurance test i mean i know slavery was a terrible thing i don't really need to see somebody being abused for two hours it's just a horrible you know and the, the plot by the way is in the title so you know you know spend 12 years as a slave okay there's a whole there's a whipping scene that goes on in you know real time one take for about five minutes that you just think well i, I don't really want to watch this but isn't this it's just gonna enjoyable this is will do for kind of slavery as the passion did for for religion it's that uncomfortable film that somehow yeah, they will believe that the public actually need to see and so therefore will shower it with praise and shower it with awards because of that almost going overboard well, yeah I mean, it felt like 12 years of slave it's basically um you know um an, a film being made to try and win awards it's the kind of stuff that they chuck awards at which is why i would rather they gave it to someone like gravity which at least was a film you know it was a piece of cinema that could only exist as a film, really, uh, and, it, and it's it, almost an experience in itself. I've got a massive problem with the passion, which I an abhorrent film that I hated, and not just on religious grounds. But you know, if you take away the context of Jesus's life and just spend two hours torturing somebody, that's just snuff porn. Okay, it was just—I mean, we're letting kids watch that, and that's what I've just answered. It's disgraceful. I'm gone for a tangent. Um, Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah, it's very well made, very well acted, but pointless. And you know, a lot of the other front runners for best film. So you're looking through the best film, and they have, there are nine nominations this year. They do vary it sometimes. They can go up to ten if they want to. American Hustle, um, that's a big front runner. Obviously, David Russell did well previously with um, The Fighter, I think, and, and um, Silver Lines Playbook. I saw it at the cinema uh, at the weekend as well, and um, I enjoyed it, but it's pretty lightweight. Captain Phillips, great film. I would love to see that do well, but it's, it's amazingly... Uh, uh, Tom Hanks didn't get a Best Actor nomination, and he is incredible in Captain Phillips. Dallas got no Club. Tom Hanks, no Tom Hanks, no Emma Thompson either, which were the two big yeah, shocks. Yeah, again, another shock. Um, but Dallas Buyers Club, you know, it's lucky to be nominated. You know, it's it's pleased to be nominated, but it won't win. Gravity possibly. Her did really well in sort of the Independent Awards, but it hasn't really picked up much because um, it actually won Best Actress um, for. Um, Scarlett Johansson in one of the awards, and she's actually just just her voice because she plays the voice of the computer in it. Nebraska, which has been getting good reviews, but again, it's not going to win anything. Philomena, yeah, it was Steve Coogan's got a best um, screenwriting nomination for writing Philomena. Twelve Years Slave and the Wolf. Which I saw the Wolf of Wall Street as well. Now, uh, at three hours long, um, and it's you know it's just a film full of drug taking, bad behaviour, orgies, and sex. Um, I loved it, and it was very reminiscent of my previous life. I felt quite nostalgic. Um, but it's not going to do very well because the lead character is a complete dick. Um, what else have we got? Best Supporting Actor. That's going to yeah, that's, that's wide open, really. 
Um, you've got Jared Leto, again, from Dallas Buyers Club. He's very good. Jonah Hill, he was in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, his second nomination, because he was nominated for Moneyball as well. Michael Fassbender, 12 Years a Slave. Got to be a contender. Bradley Cooper, American Hustle. I think he's just in it because people like Bradley Cooper. Uh, and uh, I can't pronounce his name. Ark, <laughs> Bark, Barkhad Abdi, who was the, uh, so the Somali pirate in um, Captain Phillips. Again, it was absolutely superb, I have to say. Best Supporting Actress. Good chances might go to Jennifer Lawrence, although she won last year for Best Actress. Sally Hawkins is nominated for Blue Jasmine. There's, um, oh God, it's just a year of people with names I can't pronounce. Lupita Ngoyo, who was in 12 Years a Slave. She was very good in that. Jude Roberts uh, from August, Osage County, and someone I've never heard of, June Squibb, who's in um, Nebraska. Director, right. I reckon this might go to Alfonso Cuaron um, because uh, he did such a brilliant job with Gravity. But uh, he's competing against David O. Russell for American Hustle, uh, Alexander Payne for Nebraska, Steve McQueen, not the actor, obviously, uh, for 12 Years a Slave, and Martin Scorsese for The Wolf of Wall Street. Thoughts, gents? Mm, Scorsese, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, Scorsese. No, and the people don't like The Wolf of Wall Street, although it's got nominations. It's, no, but you don't have to like the film for Best Director. That's the beauty what? of it. That's yeah. almost like a pity vote to say, for Scorsese's trophyless years, we'll throw no, this out. Already, you won for um, The Departed. I know, but they need to hammer the point home. No, but Alfonso Cuaron might win this, actually. I think he might get great because he's a brilliant director. Just knowing the Academy, it's going to be Scorsese. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> this this is the whole point, isn't it? It's just like, yeah. Better not be whatever. Steve McQueen. <laughs> uh, let's move away from uh, directors, actors, and so on. Let's have a quick look at technical, Steve, uh -huh. um, because it is an EV forum, and we all like our soundtracks and stuff like that. So anything interesting in the technical side of things? Well, um, interestingly, I mean, I, I, this is the second year this has happened. Obviously, it happened last year as well. The Hobbit, you know, given how many awards the Lord of the Rings movies won cumulatively between the three of them, I mean, although Return of the King, and that is the exception to the rule, I guess, Mark, because it was a fantasy film, but it picked up like 11 wins. Um, yeah, I think they won something like 20 or 25 Academy Awards over the three films. The Hobbit's only been nominated in three categories, and two of them are sound, and sound, you know, sound editing and sound mixing, plus obviously a special effects. Um, so clearly, you know, that's not getting the kind of love the Lord of the Rings movie did at all. Um, in terms of sound editing, uh, you've got All Is Lost, which is the film with um, uh, um, Robert Redford, where he's uh, on his own in a yacht, and it's just him uh, battling against the elements. Uh, I don't think there's even any dialogue in it, but clearly it's got a lot of sound. Yeah, I watched a documentary about that. Um, it was an online documentary produced by Dolby. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting to see how they came up with the sound design on that because it was all uh, almost like an animated film where they have to create everything from scratch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, really interesting to see how they put that together. So that's all is lost. Captain Phillips is nominated as well. Gravity, of course. I mean, Gravity is pretty much in all the technical categories and I've got sneaky suspicion it might win a lot of them. Because uh, again, uh, in terms of its sound design, um, the, the sound design that... Um, to try and stay truthful to the fact that you're in space, but still obviously not have it completely silent. Um, the sound design was very cleverly done, so things were pinpointed to wherever they were within the three-dimensional space of the film, or there were things where, where if you were touching an object, then obviously you could get transference of sound through your body. So that was a very clever sound design, which might pick up awards, and same goes for sound mixing. Gravity, The Hobbit, and Captain Phillips are also um, contenders there. Visual effects, Gravity again, The Hobbit, Iron Man 3, Lone Ranger, and Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, what we've got, cinematography. We've got uh, The Grandmaster, which is actually a Taiwanese or Korean movie. Um, Gravity, again, Inside Lewin Davis, which is the new film from the Kern Brothers, which hasn't actually had that many awards, uh, sorry, that many nominations. Um, 
surprisingly, considering the Coens are usually, uh, you know, very popular uh, come awards time. Uh, Nebraska picks up uh, a nomination. That's interesting because it's in black and white. It's a black and white movie. Uh, black and white scope, actually, which is unusual. Uh, and Roger Deakins has been has picked up a nomination for Prisoners, which I think I'd say was a very well-photographed film. I got a sneak suspicion of Gravity might pick that one up, um, although a lot of it's obviously just in space. Because um, I do think it was an... Inc- Again, it's just technically such a proficient movie that you're going to think it's going to do well. And best film editing... Um, we've got American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, and 12 Years of Slave. Again, I can see Jab Gravity. Gravity had some brilliant single-take sequences, but it was a really breathlessly edited film. Um, I mean, it's an hour and a half long, but it, you know, it's just a, a knuckle ride the entire time. Production design, American Hustle, Gravity, The Great Gatsby, Hurt, and 12 Years of Slave. Costume design, American Hustle, The Grandmaster, Great Gatsby, The Invisible Woman, which is a film I've never even heard of, and 12 Years a Slave. Uh, music. Uh, you know, John Williams has got like, something like his forty-seventh nomination for the book. Uh, how many he, has he won? Uh, he's won a few. That's um, a good question. I mean, he's actually won. Uh, I did actually count. Yeah, he's forty-ninth. This is his forty-ninth Academy Award nomination. <laughs> and he's won any, about. If anything other than Saving Mr. Banks wins that category, there's something badly wrong. Um, <laughs> I, in so much of those films, the Saving Mr. Banks score is. I, I, there, there is. It's just so perfect for the film that I, I, it, I just can't envisage anything. Did you, of did that you enjoy Saving Mr. Banks? Um, other than, <laughs> I'm, I'm reticent to re- to to an, an, an acknowledge this on the podcast. But other than the fact that I actually got motion sickness at some some points during the motion really? of boats yes um I, I to be honest was a little hungover but i'm not gonna were you that, quite near the screen <laughs> i wasn't too far i was i wasn't too bad it was where i normally sit i it, it made me briefly ill but that's not the film's problem that's obviously the weakness of my inner ear but I, I i did enjoy it but uh you you know obviously you know i have a thing for music i have since listened to the score separately as well i think it's a masterpiece an absolutely fantastic piece of work but given that i without fail back the wrong score every single year it won't <laughs> and the the final technical award is best makeup and hairstyle now incredibly considering the whole film seems to be built around people's bad hair is american hustle's not nominated even though there's like loads of massive wigs in that film and uh, you know all kinds of dodgy looking hairstyles and things all 70s and everything uh, but somehow that got sidestepped for dallas buyers club jackass presents bad grandpa now I have to say for, for makeup and costume that is it. I have you seen? You're right. Yeah, he's made up as a, a as a phenomenal piece of makeup, <laughs> and it must be said that the uh, child talent beauty pageant sequence in that does count as one of the my favourite sequences <laughs> of the whole year across all film and television. It's watch it with your hand in your mouth, but nonetheless, it's absolutely magnificent. And if you haven't seen it, you bloody well ought to. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but on that recommendation alone, I probably will. And the other nominee is the Lone Ranger, so that's not going to win, obviously. Um, so, so no, <laughs> nothing for the Hobbit there. No, no. As I said, only three nominations: sound editing, sound mixing, and visual effects. Yay! Yes, okay, so I think when, there's enough fake beards for one film. <laughs> right. So when does all this uh, happen then, Steve? When's the uh, the it's awards ceremony? Twenty. Twenty third of February. Are, are you asking or are you telling? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hundred I can't remember off the top of my head hang on so I think it was safe to say end of February so the end of we'll February ob- I think it's the last Sunday in February we'll obviously 20. have to come back and discuss this when uh, when people have won and uh, 
me and Mark will be right that Scorsese gets it. It's always a way. It's a load of shit, the Oscars. It really is. Scorsese and Bruce Dern, I reckon I'll get one. <laughs> I'd love it if they quoted Amy for Hey, the Oscars, it's a load of shit. Phil Hinton, <laughs> editor. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just can't stand awards stuff. And, and the Oscars just drives me up the wall because it's just, it's so far removed from, you know, what the common man or the common film goer actually think. So anyway... Uh, that wraps it up this week for the AV Forums podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I need to thank uh, Steve Withers. Son, your body's right in check. No, hang on, that's wrong. <laughs> What's the quote? <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on. Son, your ego's right in checks. Your body can't cash. Mark Potright. Slider. You stink. And Ed Sally. The Defence Department regrets to inform you that your sons are dead because they were stupid. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, uh, bookmarkavforums.com for the latest reviews, news and video. And why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. Don't forget, the Games Podcast is also available this week. Go and download it. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.